1: Welcome to episode 421 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and since we're still reeling from that incredible World Cup final, before we get back to talking about all things Barcelona, it's still time to continue a breakdown of the unbelievable, incredible, all the other superlatives, World Cup final, where Messi finally climbed to the top of the international football mountain. And to help me with that is the first Argentina fan I think I ever got the pleasure of calling a friend. But now I think I can say for, well, for you professionally, the now Bleacher Report and formerly of Copa90, it's Dave Siegel. Dave, thanks so much for joining the show.
2: Hey, Dan. Thanks so much for having me, man.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's been a little while for you and I, so we're going to, we're gonna maybe, I don't think we're going to regale too many people about our past. I think they don't want to hear about that. I mean, I, I look at the things, that's where well I get in weeds and, and people tune out, but most <laughs> listeners will have already heard, though, my immediate impressions from the five headlines two days ago, mm-hmm. and some of that will be repeated here, obviously, and it should be, by the way, because again, we're recapping a match that was beyond memorable. So I feel like, you know, having reviewed that match, I rewatched it again. And I felt like in the second viewing day that that match and the 2011 Champions League final, to me, have the most rewatchability of any game I've seen in the last 25 plus years. Because to me, as a Kool-Aid, Barca beating Manchester United in that Champions League final was close to footballing perfection when taking into account the modern rules and all those different things. It was Messi in his prime, the midfield trio, Dani Alves, Albedo coming back from cancer, Pepit is Peppiest. But this World Cup final was a close second for entirely different reasons, actually, the setup of the match, obviously. The Messi story, of course, top of everyone's mind, but it was more than that. It was the sheer power and depth of that France squad that should have won the World Cup. It was Kylian Mbappe having an all-time performance, should have won it, probably the best performance ever in a losing effort. You know, the way the penalty kick shootout went down with Duby Martinez that we will get into, the number of times that Argentina had to beat France, right? It was very (laughs) much over and over and over again. So it was all incredible. And where we begin, Dave, of course, while you're on this show, question number one, take me through the emotions. I guess from minute one, I mean, basically it's from minute one to minute 70, right? Chapter one. (laughs) Chapter one. (laughs) Right. And then it's 70 through 90, where there's chapters two through four. And then obviously extra time in the PK. So just take me through the emotion that came from an Argentine perspective.
2: I'll even start earlier than that. I, I would say that even two or three days before, I just couldn't sleep. Like, Mm -hmm. I just, like, literally was running scenarios in my head. Um, Well, I know France, you know, their midfield isn't, like, as strong as it could be because of the injuries and everything. I'm like, this is, like, an opportunity. Maybe, you know, they dominate the midfield. Maybe, you know, they've been possessing the ball a lot in all of their games. And France really hasn't looked like a dominant side in all of their wins, really. So I'm like, maybe this is going to happen. But then the dread sets in. And I'm like, I mean, this is France. They have Mbappe. It's you know they've just won they know what they're doing in this exact situation like that a lot of the players return so i was i was i was going through it mentally a lot for a few days didn't sleep much that friday night saturday night and then sunday had to take a, take my dog for a walk just to cool off before the game just to not look at my phone not think of anything but then you know game starts and you know first goal was 22 minutes in on the on the penalty like i i knew as soon as as Di Maria got the ball out on the wing, and he's going up against Mbele, who you know, not a defender. I will always tell, like, yell at the TV when Di Maria just like beat him, beat the, beat your man. And he listened to me this time. Uh, <laughs> drew the penalty, went nuts, just screaming at the top of my lungs for, for the first goal after the uh, Messi scored the penalty. I was, I was still like very tense because it's like you know, one goal lead, you know, no guarantees there. But that, that second goal, a counterattack against a team that you could argue wasn't attacking, um, was just like an absolute sent me over the moon. The, the touch from Messi in the midfield, and then uh, the ball to Alvarez, and then the, just the, the cool, calm, collected finish from Di Maria, I was, oh, man. I had a lot of people texting me like, oh, let's go. Like, we got this. It's over now. Like, France is doing nothing. And I just, like, I texted a few people back. I'm like, do you know this team? Like, did you not watch literally, what, six days ago when they played the Netherlands? Like, this isn't, this is far from over. But game went on. And then I think France registered their first shot, like, 70-ish minutes in. Yep, And I was like, okay, that's. Like, you know, they can't not let France have a shot in the entire game. So I was like, you know, know, as as long as they're not making any stupid mistakes defensively, I think they have this, like, pretty much in the bag. And then what happened? They made defensive mistakes stupidly. So first one, the penalty. I feel like every... It's just, like, Argentine destiny that you do something stupid in defense. No matter what. Like, every game I've ever watched, there's going to be something... That goes wrong, and that's just how it is. E- ever since I've been watching this team, so when you know they score the penalty, I'm like, okay, you know, That's why we were up two nothing. We were up two nothing. To, you know, we still had that the lead. Uh, but you, you, I'm sure you know, Dan. Two nothing is the most dangerous lead in soccer.
1: Of course, <laughs> so it's like a knockout competition.
2: Oh yeah, exactly. Bad. Especially, especially again, like like a week after watching the Netherlands game in the mm-hmm. quarterfinal. I was like, no way it can happen again. But, you know, and then it happened again. And it's just, again, another kind of defensive mistake from Molina, I think it was, on the right, where he just got wrong side of Mbappe on a on a real simple kind of just give and go kind of thing. And, you know, I mean, Mbappe is just, you know, he's a freak, he's a soccer monster that just happened to get a, like, not even like a great ball back to him. And he just like, he just punished you because he made, you literally made one step in the wrong direction. And then that's when I kinda got angry. That was my anger stage of uh emotions. I kinda threw my hat that I was wearing pretty angrily, scared my dog, who hid under the bed the rest of the match. Then, you know, I was like, let's just get to let's get to the to full time, you know, regroup in extra time, because, you know, same kind of thing happened in the Netherlands game. No way is France gonna just keep piling on pressure now that there's like less incentive to do so. Like you now you're now it's a whole new game. You're just playing a thirty minute game at this point. So, like, you can't take as many risks going forward. You know, you gotta... But I think Argentina definitely had the advantage because France made so many attacking substitutions, taking defenders off. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was like, you know, they've already dominated the midfield first 75 minutes of the game. If they can, you know, get... You know, they are prone to a counterattack. If they can score on a counterattack, that's great. You know, and then on on the goal there in the, like, 108th, I think it was, you know, I was yelling again, mostly because, you know, Argentina's supporting cast around Messi attacking in recent tournaments has been bad, like at least for you know players that play out for, at least on the national side, like you have like Gonzalo Higuain who, you know, whatever set a record for scoring in Serie A a few years ago and then just, you know, completely just forgets how to score a goal when he plays for Argentina players like that so
1: yeah uh, you're, you're living, you're living <laughs> the past you're living the past of the failure yeah,
2: exactly and then like even yeah. in this tournament Lautaro martinez has has missed some sitters yep in the group stage and everything when chances to put games away very you know early and early on were wasted and then you know you have to have to sit through a nail biter for the last 15 minutes of games and it was uh that's exactly what it was i was biting my nails but you know, Lautaro took the shot that you know he just kicked it as hard as he could at, at Laris and and Messi. Just you know, right place, right time. Yep. Great finish.
1: Yeah, but arguably one of the worst aesthetic goals of his career, to be honest with you. Like, Aste- you know, yeah, like, I mean it's it's, it's with really his off his worse, his, yeah.
2: his off foot, his right foot, and it's you know just kind of dribbled over the line. But I don't care about aesthetics at this point. They've already just scored maybe the goal of the tournament at their second goal earlier on with that beautiful team counterattack. So, I don't care. They could all they could have all gone in like that and I would have been like, fine, whatever. It's the it doesn't matter. It's the World Cup final. But again, like like to know Argentina is to know pain. So, I knew exactly what was happening like as soon as France started pushing everyone forward in the last couple minutes of the game and like I think those last last like 5 minutes of game time like from the penalty call to the end were just like I was not even like looking at the tv yeah that's just i i saw i saw the mbappe take the shot and i saw it blocked and i was like this isn't good like i just knew in my heart like this is not like that's a handball like Mm -hmm. i've seen players jump like that i've seen it like and you know they called it right away so like at least it wasn't like a var situation where they had to like dissected by like you know every every camera angle every square inch of like if it hit his arm or not but and i knew he was gonna score i mean again he's a soccer monster he's a freak he shouldn't be allowed to play soccer but he scored and i was i just kind of went numb for a little bit and i was like i was like, like like they're either gonna win this now before it gets to penalties or we're gonna lose in penalties because i was just
1: like when you think of great duos who do you think of Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Piquet and Puyol, or Piquet and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: See, I wasn't with you there, because I think for the PKs, I I understand from your perspective, but PKs, once Messi put in the first, like um, Mbappe answered, sure, but once Dybala made his, I mean, it's been interesting in this World Cup, because usually the one who goes second is the one that keeps winning, and the one who starts is the one who loses, which Argentina did, but once Dybala put his in for some reason, there was something about Kinsley Coman, and you know this is not a this podcast is not a safe space for Kinsley Coman. Um, <laughs> Google his name, just just type yeah. in just Google his name, say bad, and uh, <laughs> it's going to give you highlights. It's going to give you some of his off the field. Yeah. And once he missed his, and Diva right. Martinez then gained the psychological advantage that I think oh, he yeah. had when come when Coman step up to the the line. Not to say that I was calmer, but I, I definitely understood what was. What could have been coming next? What should have right. been coming next? And then obviously Paredes hits his, and now it's, now it's 3-1. And once it was 3-1, because yeah. as you mentioned, I mean, the weird thing about Argentina was when they were making their final substitutions by putting on DiBala, who had barely played in the tournament, yeah. but is a great PK t- uh, taker, they put him on, and it seemed like Argentina found a way, even though they conceded in the 118th minute, yeah. they found a way to make their substitutions and prepare themselves for PKs in a way that France did not. Where France took some of their experienced players, and we're just trying to win it in in extra time. Right. You know, right. They would try. Well, yeah. they tried to win it in regulation. Then they tried to win it in extra time. <laughs> I think so that I mean. So while the penalties, of course, stressful from your perspective, it there was a sense that Argentina, right. by having to win it three times, were always though, on the front foot. They were always a team that was closer to yeah. winning it, including including having a guy in Diba Martinez who has right. become. I mean, obviously, when you talk about PK goalkeepers he has put himself in the upper echelon in terms of the legend yeah, of that. Absolutely. Right? We always think of Tim Cruel, the old Newcastle. Oh, oh, guy. yeah. I, is the first one I'd say because, yeah. I mean, is he a great goalkeeper? I mean, no, he was a bum average goalkeeper. Uh, right. But, but, boy, could that guy that figure yeah, out. Yeah, that, that, that
2: famous uh, substitution where he came in just for the penalties. Yep. You know, uh, for the Netherlands. But, yeah, it's. I think, again, probably like what you said, when, when Martinez stopped... The Coman shot. I was like, okay. Again, I wasn't super confident on everyone else making their penalties. Right. But I think when they go up three one, that's when I was like, okay. Like after I forget who missed it. It was uh, Chuamani because he oh played- Chuamani, yeah Chuamani. Wasn't his- the Real
1: Madrid player step up? I was like, <laughs> well, either this is going to count for two because that's how it works. Yeah, no, that's or- how it works. No, or he's going to miss it.
2: And no, yeah, I think. You know, and then I saw some videos after the fact of Martinez just like playing some mind games with Chuameni where he just took, you know, he took the ball off the penalty spot mm-hmm. while he was walking up, held on to it, and then just like rolled it away just to like yep. make him walk an extra, you know, 20 yards to go pick up the
1: ball. Like, Yeah, special moments. Well, I, so I, I got it wrong. Too. Yeah. I want to I correct this. I, sorry, I, I got myself backwards. It was Mbappe who shot first. Story. Mbappe went first. Messi answers right, of course. Yeah, Messi answers. Yeah. Montiel wins at four uh, two, right after after uh, Colo uh, Right, the
2: and it was. I was always. I was also nervous at the coin flip when France went first because I read some statistic that something like sixty percent of teams that win it are teams that shoot first. Yeah. So I was like, "Oh, this can't be good." And you know, I think Argentina may have been even at a disadvantage because they had. Already done the penalty kicks like that, right? You know the goalkeeper might know where they're going and stuff. But I love Hugo Lloris as a as a partial Tottenham fan, but he's also awful at saving penalties.
1: Well, I said I think a little bit of a narrative fun again. There's so many little points here from this game in yeah. point to like the romance of it. As I said, I think the romantic poor finish, That not even poor finish, but the romantic rebound goal that Messi scored, I think yeah. the romance of that idea is that, again, Messi has scored all these beautiful things but the goal that, in just, theory, was going to take him over the line was, you know... Yeah, an ugly thing goal. that he kind of bumbles
2: over the line for and, sure. And then
1: even when he scores his, the PK in, in in penalties, as I'm thinking, I'm saying oh, the, the the boy who was made in Catalonia scores against this goalkeeper who was born in Catalonia, right? It was yeah. made in Catalonia against born in Catalonia. Exactly. And they they know each other. They can speak Catalan to each other, right? And exactly. I, those are a little again, all those little romance things to me. Yeah, so, Dave, I, I do want to talk a little about the tactics here. Then we'll get yeah. the supporting cast as as we wrap it up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you brought up a lot of interesting points. I think I think where we begin, I think is the beginning and going into this game. The choices obviously was to start with a four three three or four four two two. I mean a 4-4-2. 4-4-2, yeah. And I love how I was watching Tifo football. And so I want to give them credit on this one. I love how they called it a 4 one being Di Maria, one mm-hmm. being Alvarez, and one wild card in Messi's position. right? Because that's what it was. It was a that's 4 it, yeah. three, one one, yeah. one but the one is kind of this. this yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the, the, the interesting tactic that Scaloni, why he went with the four three three, I think the concern was Mbappe. But I love the fact that by using Di Maria so wide, it forced France into difficult decisions horizontally, not even right. horizontally, horizontally, to take Mbappe out of the game by forcing him to defend. The only time he be taken out of games was through that means. Because Teo right. Hernandez, they also kind of use that against him. Lucas Hernandez, his brother, is a bit more defensive. Yeah, right? for sure. Campbell, but because Teo Hernandez gets for- farther forward, and Mbappe obviously, both of them want to get high. That forces right. the center backs to come over, and that includes right. Mbappe, who became the right center back. But with Di Maria wide, that meant that. Koundé either had to shift over, or Dembélé had to defend Di Maria, which we've mm-hmm. covered for the as he gives it the PK. Right. That's not his skill set. He's gotten better at defending, as yeah. our fans know, over the last eighteen months. But defending Di Maria in the box is a bit too far for any winger who's gotten to defending in the middle of his career. That's not going to happen. So right. what this allowed Argentina to do, it allowed Argentina to have their most significant movements of play through the middle. Which again, Kundes <laughs> will know if you control the middle of the field, you should win these games. But they control the middle of the field vertically which is so essential, right? It, it's not what Spain did. It's not what these possession teams did in this tournament, the ones who didn't yeah. seem to have that that final phase. So it was either Enzo Fernandez, who is adept at those line-breaking passes, mm-hmm. or it was McAllister on the, as a left interior, the position where you have both space and Messi dropping in perpendicular to you is always an outlet. And DePaul also, as, as I've covered before in this podcast, and I've said on the five headlines, DePaul basically being Messi's shadow. Uh, yeah. He was close in that diamond to protecting Messi it's if Messi lost the ball, which is also why, oddly enough, on the second goal, when Messi lost it out as wide as he did to Coman, there was no immediate backup plan to stop that Coman cross from coming right. in, which is interesting that France was able to capitalize on the one moment when DePaul, in theory, was out of position because Messi, in theory, picked it up out of position because mm-hmm. it's one spot on the flank, right? He did on the touchline or on the sideline, we wouldn't expect Messi in that game to, to start his positioning or start his move. And I think, again, I think this game was also enjoyable and is rewatchable because of Argentina's desire to play through the middle. That's what made the game interesting. So obviously things kind of come off the, the rails for Scoloni when he switches that 4-4-2. When Acuna right. comes off for Di Maria and Acuna, whether through injury, we also know he had, I mean, he had been great in the beginning of the tournament, uh, San Saudi Arabia, yeah. but Once he picked up that knock, it hasn't been great. And he clearly wasn't physically, I think, ready for the moment the way Di Maria was. Oddly enough, Di Maria was also kind of coming back from injury. But he was more prepared than or seemed to be fitter than Acuna was. Mm. And then, as you talked about, by the end of regulation, Argentina is totally gassed. And they're the ones kind of hoping to get the extra time. But as you kind of mentioned about it's the Argentine, Argentina is pain. And about this Argentina team does not, not just the Netherlands, like looking back, even though they had won, what, 35 straight? Until yeah. like the Saudi Arabia, right? Yeah. The buzz saw that is the great Saudi Arabia team. <laughs> it has kind of been Argentina's MO, though, tactically. It's this isn't just like the emotions and the vibes, right? This is actually no. tactically against Scaloni. Their MO has been to take a lead. I mean, that's why 35 game, uh, games, yeah, are pretty good. So they take that lead and then they try to sit back and they try to counterattack, which right. is how they get the second goal. It's through that counterattack. But again, their issue is that by getting into their shell and settling in. I mean, when we saw this throughout this World Cup, settling into your shell was not the way to get yeah. anything. Because again, the, the argument from Morocco is that they were not just a defensive side. They were a, t- a side with elite wingers and elite, particularly elite fullbacks who were, yeah. were doing this to get forward and beat teams on the counterattack. And For I think sure. you know to kind of sum all that up, tactically, the big question, of course, that I'd like you to try to kind of step out of your Argentine boots and, and, and take this World Cup in totality here. I think the most important tactical lesson to be learned from this World Cup, it's not that possession styles are bad because obviously the team that won possession, with the exception of Argentina, by the way, in the final, the one who takes the lion's share of possession wasn't seeing the results that we would not right. expect. In fact, in fact, they were losing the games and losing their knockers. Of yeah. But, you know, you also have to be, it's not the possession is bad, but you also have to be elite at counterattacking. I, I think Argentina, yes, they scored that second goal, but they aren't necessarily this elite counterattacking team either. It's that I think teams that can play different styles that support where you are in the game, so it's not if you come out play, trying to counterattack and your other and the, the opposition is better counterattacking, you're going to fall to the sword. We saw right. that as well. I think Ecuador was the one that right. was leading yeah. to was Senegal in, in that wild game because I like both teams came in and were like, "Oh, we're going to have the same idea," and then one idea has to be trumped by the others' um, individual yeah. abilities at times. So I think obviously we also consider that you have the most success in a knockout tournament when you can play different styles when sure. every game has to have an ultimate winner. So not the neuter down what we take away or a big takeaway, but b- because just think of every penalty shootout or every extra time as just a draw. And that would have been a lot of draws in this knockout stage. Sure. And I was, as the kool and premier league teams or whatever, if you fall, one of the big clubs in the world, if you got this number of draws that some of these teams were getting in the knockouts, I, I mean, it's, it's how and I want, like everyone is going insane because this team is sputtering. They can't figure this out. So When you ask what can you take away tactically from this World Cup, I'm not sure what any club manager, especially Xavi, should take away. Other than the fact that the teams, we've seen it with Real Madrid the last few seasons, unfortunately, in the Champions League. We've seen it with Liverpool, actually, when they had their little run, if you will. And Man City is working their way towards it. And I think this Man City team, in the way they are now, can do it. But teams that can both absorb pressure... And and come out with elite counterattacking. Obviously, when you have a player like Kylian Mbappe, and that's the whole thing with with France. They played France played well for two and a half minutes of 120 minutes. For two yeah. and a half minutes, they were the better side. I mean, maybe a little bit more at the end of regulation. I, yeah. I give I give them a healthy 25 minutes when they were the better side. But really, yeah. 25 30 minutes of 120, they were the better team, and they still took it to penalties because you do have Kylian Mbappe, right? Yeah. Not every team has Kylian Mbappe, so I mean, it's it's a much different thing where you're going to try to have to possess the ball and you're going to try to break down a team like, I always say Kadif, but they're the great example because that's the way they want to play. And this year they're failing at at stopping teams, breaking them down. But last season they stayed in La Liga because they found a way to defend, 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 defend for 90 minutes and they come away with a draw. So yeah, Dave, when you step out of your boots and you wonder about the tactical nuance, not only of this game, but the ways that throughout this whole tournament, that it, it shifts the different phases of play and what each team did bring to the table but the fact that unless you could do all of it you didn't seem to have a way forward
2: yeah no that's uh that's an excellent way to look at it and like you said like you know Spain has had games where they had what like eighty percent possession and then they're out in the quarterfinals you know yeah you have, you have and then you have other styles like you have Brazil where they were in the game against Croatia like they were again two minutes, three minutes from victory, and like instead of choosing to you know set up shop and and hunker down, they're they're going for flair, they're going for a second goal, and you know it bit them in the ass, and then now you know they lose in penalties. So I think like what you're saying, like tournament style play definitely you need to be able to adapt. You need to be able to not play one style of play, and like you said, Morocco was a excellent example of that like like yeah they're like it's morocco it's little morocco and they have their whole thing it was like we're going to play defense first but like you have hakimi you have zish like you have game changers there as well that on their day can beat anyone in the world and that's you know basically how they got as far as they did you know
1: um well i do want to play devil advocate just a little bit actually from the barcelona perspective here because you can actually argue that because Barcelona are pretty myopic in the way that they like to set up their their, their style, especially how Sergio Busquets kind of forces you to play a certain way as well. Like that's mm-hmm. also a big thing from this World Cup to, to take away from Spain, that Barcelona are leading La Liga because they're the best version of what they can do in the league when teams cannot stop the, the, the way that they play. But there's a reason why they have crashed out of Champions League. There's a reason why they can't seem in knockout competitions to get over it. Because Barcelona, unlike some of these other teams, that do go for in these competitions. While they may not have, you know, the top, top shelf of one style, except again, like, I mean, Liverpool, I mean, obviously, Real Madrid is an elite counter-attacking team. That's what they do. Manchester mm-hmm. City is elite at both possession style. Not even a possession style. I don't want to, like, I don't want to neuter it down to call it just possession style. But yeah. where you're, they're using the ball to destroy you. I mean, that's basically yes. like the whole, yeah. the, the yeah. ball is our weapon. And because we have the ball and you do not, that we are going to beat you through different passages of play through the middle of the field on the flanks, like and using positional play to its, you know, we'll say it's intellectual end, right? To to, to, <laughs> to overwhelm to beat them. But they still well, they haven't won the Champions League yet. I mean, again, they did make the final against Chelsea, and then in one game things happen. But again, for Barcelona, I think the thing to learn is that for these knockout competitions, there has to be some kind of elite plan B. And because right. of Barcelona's financial situation, some of the other names and people that they've wanted to bring in, they haven't been able to do that. So their right. squad, because of financial restrictions, have limited them in saying, Well, we have a plan A and we have to hope that our plan A works because we cannot we have not been able to have the financial medal to afford a plan B in a competition like the Champions League. And and so I th- I think that would be the one lesson. But I don't know what Barcelona does with that until they they figure out how to make some money again <laughs> uh, which is going to be now yeah. well, maybe another year so all right yeah but yeah but back to this individual game here I, I guess to start not to start from the beginning but as this game was changing right the 4-3-3 to the 4-4-2 I know obviously emotionally in it you're not like trying to be like oh is McAllister's position ever right, so- right. to the left or something like that but going into this game how did you think Scaloni was going to set up and were you surprised at the way that that was set up
2: you know what I don't think I was I did think Maybe they would have gone with with a back five for a second because that's how they lined up against the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, it made sense more for the Netherlands game because everyone on the Dutch team is so much taller than everyone on the Argentine Argentinian team. So I and the more I thought about it, going up, you know, doing a back four against another back four where you can now force, you can have Di Maria come in, and then you can force. Mbappe to defend you know as much defending as he does but you know he's not gonna have as much free reign so I think pushing lining up as they did the 4-3-3 or the 4-3-1-1 whatever you want to call it like I think it made tactical sense because like you said that one flank of France was ripe for the picking with Mbappe not being a defensive player really at all you know, he—you he saw earlier in the tournament, uh, Deschamps is yelling at him for not getting back. I think it was against Poland at the end of the game, just yelling at him to like track back even like a little bit. And then, of course, he goes and scores like a world Eve and just you know, doesn't matter at the end anyway. But I think like, and you know, with Hernandez in there as well, and not his brother, I think you know, you take, I think you take the chance that that you can get behind and you can. You can exploit that flank more than than you try to just, like, put in three center backs to try to just deal with Mbappe. I think that's when you start to, you, like, almost concede the fact that, like, oh, like, Mbappe is really good. We need to allocate more resources to him. I think plan was pretty solid.
1: Yeah, I mean, and you mentioned a bunch of the the supporting cast and kind of the decisions that were, had to be made with the supporting cast. And so it is interesting to me, you know, the way that this Argentina team, and I think this should be the narrative, the way that this Argentina team was built in support of Messi in a way that others weren't in the past, even though in theory they right. we were. But, you know, he has his inner circle that I was reading about, the ones that he would always have his lunch with, that macaro um, Icardi wanted to break into. And then not only did he not, was he not <laughs> able to break into the inner circle, but they were like, not only that, but we don't even want this kind of team anymore. And yeah. he's out. But I'm talking about Mascherano and Biglia and Aguero. And Di Maria has kind of been there the whole time. i right. From scoring in the 2008 Olympics when those two won together. 2021 World uh, Copa Americas, of yeah. course. And then a ton of Copa de Ligas with PSG. He seems to be. And it's weird because one game can change that kind of reputation where... To me, I, I didn't really consider Unhealthy Di Maria a big game player because no offense to PSG, but any trophy they win, I don't consider no. a big game, right? Like no, no offense to them. <laughs> like it's, it's what happens when you when yeah, when you I mean you're you're owned by a country. It's, I mean it's literally the type in <laughs> the World Cup. But anyway, it's the point. Like I think in one game Di Moria people are now like, Hey, the twenty twenty one Copa America has kind of made us feel like he was a big game player, but now that he's done it in a World Cup as well and comes up in this moment, now yeah. it's like the whole narrative of his career has changed. And then for some of these guys too, like Duby, uh Duby Martinez. Oh, yeah, Arsenal since what 2000 and he came when he was like a teenager like 13 or whatever and then yeah he goes not on loan for like eight years finally so, in 2020 he gets it. a chance and then finally he's, he got enough of a chance to get a move to aston villa and so that that's his level now and you'd assume and then even rodrigo de paul and uh, noel molina i mean for atletico madrid i've watched them a ton this year like everyone's saying yeah. about how rodrigo de paul was like monstered this year how he's like was not his self tactical ability was was off and for the same thing with molina where molina not to say he's still unproven, but he he fits well. At Atletico Madrid, he's played well under Diego yeah. Simeone, but because they as a team have not been what we expect from a Diego Simeone team and their results haven't followed. I think you came into this going, is Molina really, is he as good as what we've seen from right back in years past? But right. then again, you can actually look around and ask Montiel like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess like Molina became the starter over Montiel, even even though Montiel, of course, the PK at the end there. Right. And then you kind of mentioned Odomendi and said, oh, it's an Argentine way to to make a mistake. But no, it's not. It's actually an Odomendi at 30, whatever it is, 34 <laughs> way to make a mistake. Because so, so, yeah. we watched him with Benfica where you're right. He can have 85. I mean, that's what Odomendi is, right? He's 83 minutes. He was always probably about. 78 to 88 minutes of quality center back, even with yeah. Man City. but Otamendi now at his point in his career, he's 78 to 82 minutes, exactly solid for you. Right. And then yes. it's like eight minutes where you're like, Oh, what, it doesn't just, know what's going on, but he's just, still, yeah. but he's still good enough for like 82 minutes to, to get it all done. And then same thing actually with Christian Romero, who's your, your Tottenham guy that he, for, I mean, I mean, even for Tottenham, there are moments when you trust him and there are moments that you don't. For him, at least, he's always tall. Like that's always something that. Yeah, more. no, that, that does just... And then, obviously, the last two I kind of want to talk to. Well, I also want to mention Julian Alvarez, how important that is, and as you said, Lotaro Martinez. I think actually him coming on in extra time was, or, or the end of regulation, whatever he came on, yeah. was pretty really important to getting that attacking punch back. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's for why. Sure, that's why that that third goal was scored by Messi because exactly. Martinez was able to add something. And, um, if, if not for Upa just in insane two two, <sighs> two tackles by Upa then Lautaro Martinez, those were both on target, which is something that you can't say oh. through his other previous misses. Like, because those were on target, they wind up scoring the third goal. And yeah. but then the decision by Scaloni, after Sergio Aguero, by the way, this was then the tournament, Sergio Aguero goes on his Twitch stream, and he was there with what, Argent, ESPN Argent, Argentina, and yeah. he's at the World Cup on his Twitch channel talking his stuff, and he winds up saying, I don't know why Lautaro Martinez is starting over Julian Alvarez. And then he has to see Lautaro Martinez like in the locker room the next day. I mean, that could have really Oof. like blown everything up. But then interestingly enough, that next game, Julian Alvarez, that's when he gets in the starting lineup. So it's like the coaching staff agreed. It seemed like everybody had this, even though you, know, you yeah. have one of these, these players who's your, basically your mascot, your 13th man, he's yeah. our 27th man is criticizing your starting center forward and all of a sudden <laughs> that what happens is what happened it seems like to Martinez had to put aside his ego and say well Aguero's right you know even though he, it wasn't fair for him yeah. to do that." the coaching staff agrees Julian Alvarez because of his movement I talked about him on a previous podcast about what he and Messi and what that has meant and we've done the and Torres thing I, you know I'm not going to rehash that but then the two last two guys I want to speak about here I mean you can talk about Dubi Martinez too I could do a whole podcast on him but talking about Alexis McAllister who people they're lolling about Brighton, but Brighton has been decent this year. Yeah, they have the character. Uh, McAllister has not been some standout player in the premier league. He is a young player at 23 who can follow directions to the absolute letter. He can follow tactical directions. So for Brighton, their success comes on the fact that they have a system. They play their system. Everybody commits to it and buys in. And if you have a player like him at 23, who has lungs for days and can completely buy in, That's what McAllister was good at. Is there any one elite skill he has? I'm not sure. But his positional sense is very, very good. His technical ability is good enough. His work rate is good enough. And that's what he is. He's good enough. Now, the last one is Enzo Fernandez, obviously, a young player of the tournament, who we can, again, now I'll let you rehash the thing that I keep saying, that it's insane for a club like FC Barcelona, or really any team, to spend more than $80 on a defensive midfielder or a pivot. Now mm-hmm. all that eighty-eight million for Tuamani for Real Madrid was expected behavior by them. I would have loved it. I mean, obviously, <laughs> I've, I've, I've said my piece about Tuamani and how excited I would have been for FC Barcelona to get him. He would he would have been the perfect replacement to Busquets and all that stuff. But for Endel Fernandez, an interesting one that if Barcelona does scrounge enough money, they won't in the summertime. But let's say somehow Benfica is like, hey, give us one hundred twenty million, we want. Because that's what Benfica does. They always ask yeah. for a high transfer, and if they're able, and if they do that, and he's available next January when Barcelona finally has some money, or he's available next summer somehow. Again, somehow after this performance, is a club not going to buy him up? Obviously, he's going somewhere in the Premier League, probably, or he's going. Well, I don't think about Bayern, but he's going somewhere. We know that. Yeah. We know he's guaranteed to be bought. Um, and Benfica's will sell over the summer, likely. But Enzo Fernandez. It has a completely impressed me. Like in in all of these terrific ways, he has impressed me with his ability to play balls, with his ability to win balls. Even mm. his fifties on the ground, he isn't that tall but he's so much what the modern pivot is being asked to do. Like very rarely are these teams sticking with one pivot. Like there are times that McAllister would drop in, Rodrigo De Paul would drop in, but because Messi Messi as well, when they had the ball would drop in. Alvarez, like you had so many players that could fill that midfield that all made sense. And Enzo constantly had support in a way that Busquets doesn't often when either Frank and Young is trying to get forward or or whatever, Mm -hmm. what have you, but... Boy, Enzo Fernandez really impressed me as one of the players of the of the tournament. And again, it's so interesting because in tournament play, how do you adjust? How do you, you know, view these players? And it's almost opposites. For me, McAllister, I, I respond to how amazing he was, because he was terrific throughout this tournament. But I I recognize that I wouldn't go out and spend 50 million on Alexis McAllister. Right. I still think right. he's a 25 to 30 million euro player. At 23, maybe he can get better, but I think that's who he is. And he played amazing in this tournament. Yeah. Well, Enzo Fernandez, I think. All of what we saw from him is he is here to stay. He's 21. For probably sure. gonna be getting better. And I don't consider that just a blip of a tournament. I think all the things that he did and showed you in this tournament are completely applicable to a higher, higher level. That's why so, I said if Barcelona yeah. had sixty million next summer, you go and you spend it on end of the Yeah, no, he like you right said,
2: right he, he was doing everything this tournament. Like you said, he's winning balls, he's playing the pivot, you know, he he's he's playing cutting passes, you know. Winning fifty-fifties scored a, a banger against Mexico. Yep, that's like a world-beating. You know, that's memo a show in the World Cup. Like, not, not too many things are getting past him when he's playing. You know, for Mexico. So I, I, out of his mind, he played. And the same thing for McAllister. Like you said, like there, there was no one skill of his that was like a standout skill. Like they're like, oh wow, look look at his passing. Oh look at him. Look at his vision. We, whatever. I genuinely can't remember like. If he's put a foot wrong, like his position, his positioning was incredible the entire time. He never looked lost. You never saw like a ball come over the top, like oh, where's our defensive cover? Where's like our midfield? Like he was always there. And you know what he he had the assist for the Di Maria goal. He it's you know not always an easy pass in the in that exact moment, but he laid it off absolutely perfectly.
1: Well, I would argue to and, you that he was the only player that played 120 minutes for Argentina in the final. I yeah. think, I mean, I think when you say didn't put a football, I think that's, that's actually the perfect way to sum up McAllister, that he, from minute one all the way to 120, he yeah. was the only one, I think, who was totally with it. There wasn't, there wasn't a single moment in that game when I was like, oh, McAllister isn't in this game, right here, like in this game where he needs to be and doing what he needs to do.
2: Yeah, no, exactly. He was, uh, I, again, like I, I watched back most of the game and like, I but no notes. Like, good job. Mm-hmm. 10 out of 10 for yeah. positioning, awareness, you know, no stupid fouls, no, no, like, horribly misplaced balls. Like, he, he just, he had a job to do. He did it. And, you know, he was rewarded with an incredible assist.
1: So. Yeah. So, Dave, uh, finally, we'll wrap it up. Uh, I mean, I, we didn't really talk about Messi, which is incredible. <laughs> Um, but I, I want to do Diva Martinez, and then I think okay. I've done Messi. We've done Messi. We've done Messi many, many times. Um, but yeah. we'll, we'll close with Messi. But yeah, Diva Martinez. I, I said a little about his story about the Arsenal stuff, about becoming the yeah the, the keeper. But I think I you know I don't want to overstate that the psychological advantage matters because I think usually it doesn't. But in this case, it absolutely did. Oh, for sure, absolutely does, and. I think for for Debo Martinez again he is a knockout competition goalkeeper and that's what he is. Is he a solid goalkeeper <laughs> in the Premier League week in a week out? He's fine. He is He's fine. no
2: yeah he's he's average an average Aston Villa player. goalkeeper. Correct. He's exactly Arturo, what
1: you, He is going to be he's going to be a god. They're going to make a statue of
2: him. Yeah no they I mean you knew like before the tournament started every single player coming out saying like yeah I want to win the World Cup but like I want Messi to win the World Cup. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Like, that was kind of like the whole team motto is like, you know, whatever we have to do to get Messi to win this.
1: But do you think, think too, that like that idea throughout the years, I felt like the 2014 World Cup in particular, where it was like everyone knew that. But at that point in his career, it was hey, we're still like we all are players on our own merit. Right. felt like this was the first time. Because I mean you look at it Enzo Fernandez 15 years old writes a letter to Messi yeah when Julian Alvarez it's like nine years old wanted, right? yeah, yeah. wanting an autograph right It seemed like this was a team that was fully aware and fully willing to admit we yeah. are doing this for this guy like yeah. we're doing this <laughs> this guy I can write off in a sense that as a legend that he is to be considered the greatest of all time by where we kind of kind of closed the chapter I mean yes. kind of close the book on that argument so yeah. I, I think it was it was very helpful psychologically to Argentina to fully Fully commit to saying we are playing for Messi. I'm I'm a good player, sure. I play for Man City or I play for Atletico Madrid or I play for whatever. But we're doing this for Lino Messi. Like let's just all agree that's the way this is going to be. And do you do you feel like do you agree with that? That this is like the first time where a team was like, I'm I'm not worried about my transfer fee over the summer. Like I'm just telling you this is what we're playing for.
2: Yeah. No. I it definitely. I mean, it worked because they won, right? So I think it was. I think they realized that. I mean, the entire Argentinian FA has been, like, an absolute shambles, you know, in, like, the last, you know, from the Maradona coaching years to, yeah. like...
1: Unless he retired from international duty. Yeah, like, he, he, st- st- he stopped playing. Like, he's he like, stopped, I'm done. I had podcasts on that. I had podcasts on him retiring back in, the, it, like, a few yeah. years ago. Back hear it. like, he was done. He was like, I don't like how they're being mean to me. I don't like how they're treating yeah. me. And while and then, we have- yeah, we've heard yeah. some pretty good interviews too with like Argentine journalists and things, and of course the one that the the Argentine reporter did a few a few days ago about how how wonderful like what Messi Mez meant to them. Uh, yeah, but he also like with the trophy is running through the mixer yelling about how he doesn't like journalists and how awful the Argentine journalists were to him through the years. Right? Yeah, there were some that are that he likes and he works with, and he was much more front facing this time as well, for better or worse. Like Messi. no,
2: yeah, he I just this is the first time. I can remember Messi in an Argentina shirt expressing an emotion that isn't anger. <laughs> well, you know? I was yeah.
1: the Raquelme celebration, I guess, for yeah. Hull. I oh. think, you know, what's interesting. is That was a moment. And I think, well, people were like, oh, Messi was like, uh, even in the, the the mixer afterwards when he was going after Netherlands. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and Verse, he had a word for him. But I felt like when he did the Raquel May celebration, it was like almost like a Dragon Ball Z, like this was his final form. Like this oh. is the, he is calm when he needs to. He's completely in control of emotionally, like the emotion timber of the game. And while the team, and, you know, we've heard this too, how when he was in Barcelona captain, you're like, Where, why isn't he yelling at anybody? Where is he? Like, why is he right. talking? And you're like, oh, he's, he's leading by example. And <laughs> There was always a thing about Messi as a captain, but this, in this tournament, he was unequivocally, and I think we say this because they win. they won sure, but I would say not. After the Netherlands game, it was pretty solidified, even after Saudi Arabia. Apparently, he's the one who yelled on the team bus. I mean, reports yeah. he's the one who yelled on the team bus. He's the right. one yelled in the locker room. Scaloni, being a former teammate of his, has kind of stepped back and say, Messi, I mean, like, they're going to listen to you because, again, they're admitted they're playing for you. So <laughs> you tell them what to do, and they're going to do it. And so when he told them to get back up on their feet after Saudi Arabia against the Netherlands, again, he like told... He told him, you know, I, we remember Argentina. We don't forget. <laughs> we, I remember what you <laughs> did at Barcelona, this place that I was at. Yeah. I, I was 14 when that happened. I remember yeah. what you did or no. Yeah. 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 I was 14 at the time. Yeah. I remember what you did to my, to my <laughs> Idaho. For Calme. And I mean, it was just, I mean, there's so much, there was so many layers of this oh, yeah. time. And I think that's Dave, what makes this so enjoyable. Why I cared so much. Why no offense oh, yeah. to Calme and Koundé who are Barcelona players currently. But, I mean, Messi has given me so much joy. And it was what I said on the five headlines, too. Who is this for? Like, we could say on the internet, this is for all the trolls, all those who doubt him, and all those who fight. Not even Ronaldo FC, but also, like, the arguments about Pele, right? Like, back in time, is Pele as good as Messi? Or all those people that say that that Messi might not be the best of all time, or that he's the greatest of all time, right? Is this for them? I think at the end of it, I said, I had to say no. Because, again, like, it's my understanding of Raquelme and that situation and Louis van Hall, and, like, Again, having done my research on all of that stuff of Barcelona's past and having been there, like watching Barcelona at the time, that it was, there was so much into the heartache of Messi, again, retiring from international duty. And it, this game, even having to win on three different occasions, this game was a culmination of all that Messi gave to us, all the people who cared about Messi and watched him, and those who watched him against Sporting Gijón in the mid 2000s, or watched him against Sadafe through, again, getting the living beat. Uh, whatever kicked out of him for the last whatever years in the Liga And then PSG. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're a little nicer than the Liga, but anyway, like getting, you know, just all those games that you didn't need to watch in the Copa del Rey or the Spanish Super Cup or whatever. And the things that everybody else missed and we got to enjoy because we right. loved watching Messi for the last 17 years. Yeah. And this game really did, you know, the story, it, Fairy tale endings don't matter in football. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You don't have yeah. to end it on this beautiful ride off into the sunset, but because of the way that this crescendo, this game, just had its ebbs and its flows and its valleys, I know that emotionally, you know, you you had to buy a whole new set of underwear after this game. I understand that, Dave. Oh yeah. But again, I think this game was a perfect culmination, and then I'll let you kind of have the final word on Messi. But this was a culmination of everything that kind of we've been through with Lionel Messi, like the ups and the downs, the defending him whenever he didn't, you know, when the best player in the world who's supposed to always win every game when he wasn't able to. And now finally he gets to the top of the mountain in the final chance he has to. I think that is just what makes this so emotional. That's oh, what sure. I mean, That that's that final breath you take and you feel like very rarely in football is something completed. Like again, Barcelona, his ending at Barcelona. It feels awful, like really, it's like still stuck. Yeah, no, oh, it always yeah. will be. He's never coming back because Bars can't afford any contract for him unless he's forty and he decides to come back and Bars finally had money. But yeah, because that didn't end the way we wanted it to. So much of football doesn't end the way you want it to. Right. This ended the but way it was did. Football. Yeah. Like there's no, there's no next chapter. He said he's going to keep playing, which is fun, but it's like we can all like very rarely do you see football without anything, right? Where it's just like there are no stakes here. Like very rarely is that the case. So yeah, it just it ended. It culminated in this moment that just you don't get.
2: Right. It was, uh, it was like, I mean, storybook is, is what everyone is, is saying, but it, I mean, I, you couldn't have scripted a better tournament really. I mean, like it, it's, it's not only that it's, you know, it's Messi's last ride and everything, but it's also, you know, this new up and, you know, up and cover, right? Achille Mbappe with France, like, you know, the next heir to the throne of, you know, the, you know, the GOAT debate, or, you know, you could argue. And the fact that they're trading goals in a world cup final and they're
1: i want to wait i want to i want to throw in there that messi at 21 we already admitted was one of the best players in the world yes and we did the same thing with Mbappe. he won a world cup right he was already doing it for monaco and PSG. i get that but i think we're kind of forgetting 15, 14 15 years ago like i was there like messi had already ascended i think he was already yes. there like no offense, to Mbappe, who is 24 now, and he is one of the best players in the game. It's him. It's Holland. I think there's, yeah. there's a one-two for what's coming in the next four, five, six years. But yeah, like, I just want to remind people that like Ronaldo and Messi, where they were, is above where Holland and Mbappe are. yeah. Like, I, just, I want, I'm just want to just want to remind people. <laughs> it's a little bit. Different. Yeah.
2: No, it's it's funny that you mentioned that too. It was I? It was I think it was like 2002 or 2003. My grandparents had gone to Buenos Aires on a trip and they always brought me back a jersey Mm -hmm. they brought me back a messy jersey a messy number 18 jersey they're like he's gonna be good don't worry like i've heard i've heard rumblings and of course they 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 brought me back this ratty knockoff thing that they've bought off of like some you know street vendor in in buenos Aires. but it's still like one of my most cherished shirts today even though it's like like the most knockoff thing that you could buy from like wish.com today but i just I
1: mean, my, my, listen listen my wife knows not to wash jerseys she knows Not. it's not even about luck thing it's just a it will fall apart
2: <laughs> yeah no exactly <laughs> i i i've base. had i've had to wash this is my uh copa america final shirt from last year and i've had to wash it a couple times because i've just worn nothing but uh jerseys this month so sure. uh but yeah it's it's we're on gentle cycle we're uh... <laughs>
1: Yeah, hand washing. That would be that was the other that thing. Oh. I would say, as an adult, you learn hand washing. You put it in the sink, you let it soak, and you yeah. wash it. Your hand, then you dry it. Like yeah. that's that's where to go. Just that's that's out. the play. Okay, yeah. yeah. So but yeah. Uh, Dave, so as we do wrap up, though, yeah. this mm-hmm. If you if you have anything more to wax poetic about about Messi, and then again in Argentina, I mean, yeah. Now that you're you're in your 30s, you've seen it. You've seen the World Cup. So there you have it. But. Yeah, I mean, where does... I think the final question I'll give you is, where does Messi go next? I mean, the options are he can renew with PSG, comes into Miami with Busquets, obviously can't return to Barcelona, that's not an option, or no. he or he goes and fulfills his promise. Like, we keep not talking about those old boys here, but I want to remind you, like, what he used to say. You're right, yeah. He used to say for a long time, but it seems to me, unfortunately, that he's going to renew with PSG. I think that's where that's, it's going. We mm-hmm. have just so much money to throw at him. And also, again, his... as people. They'll want to kind of poo-poo it. His connection now to Qatar, not only through the World Cup, but obviously because QSI yeah. owns PSG. Right. So I think the idea that he's going to leave PSG this coming year is not is not happening. I think it's no. You're going to be Yeah. Player.
2: I. Yeah. And as much as I would love to see him in Fort Lauderdale with Inter Miami tearing up, you know, the Montreal Impact or whatever or Montreal FC, excuse me. Yeah, I don't think he's. I don't think he's leaving a Qatari-backed team anytime soon.
1: Well, I'd say I think he's going to get the one-year renewal. They have a plus one anyway. And I think right. they'll to sign a, a plus one to that, I, which I think he'll do. But uh, the idea has always been, too, that he's going to come to the U.S. Mm-hmm. in some way. Um, you know, the interesting thing, I was always thinking, too, with this World Cup, he even won a World Cup. And as I've said many times, if Messi ever speaks English, the internet's just going to break down. I mean, I don't think we're going to be able yeah, I mean- to But anyway, speaking of the internet, people can find you on the internet down in the show notes below. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Again, we are on Twitter and Instagram too, at the Barcelona pod, Hilton D13 for me. Close Facebook group. You know where to find that. Answer the questions, i let you in. I am working through the Discord as well. I do appreciate, you know, for those who are still here, probably the ones in the Discord too. So if you're on the Discord, I'm working the best I can to figure that out. I got some mods helping me as well. So we're trying to get out all the kinks there. And then our Patreon is how we keep making these shows. I do appreciate as the numbers kind of have dwindled in this time, all those who stuck with us do World Cup coverage. But a reminder, 11 days from now, is well 12 days from now is the new year but 11 days from now barcelona are back at it so i'm hoping that you know in full voice everybody's back but in the meantime if you could share the show all those different things especially the youtube content five headlines i'm going to jump back into the match reviews the way we should do so those five headlines are coming right back uh, as they did for the, the semi-finals here in the final of the world cup most importantly though again we didn't do a lot of barca here but lino messi the greatest player in fc barcelona history uh, you can debate Pele or whatever, but there's no debating. He's the greatest player in FC Barcelona history. He owns every record, possibly could. So, of course, I was rooting for Messi. Of course, any Kool-Aid was... Most Kool-Aids are rooting for Messi. I think the ones who weren't, well, they've got a different... they got a different... Of <laughs> course, I was all in on Messi winning the World Cup. I mean, he's right behind me right there. You can see. Yep. On my shoulder. There he is. So, most importantly, though, thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon in course of